Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Persist podcast. I'm so excited today to be here with San Bernardino City Unified School District Board Member Abigail Medina. Abigail, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here, Denise. Um, This is a great opportunity for us to have conversations, um, especially with elected officials to hear their perspectives. So thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I can't wait to dive in and speak with you. The first question that I ask everyone, please tell us a bit about yourself and your path into politics. Um, A little bit about myself. In order to understand why I'm here, it it really is important to understand where I'm coming from. So um, I went through 14 different schools, uh, was in foster care one year, and uh, was also in, lived in Mexico another year. So the diverse upbringing, uh, people ask me, is it because you were in the military family or in the field? And nothing has to do with that. Um, But the reality is, is that I I knew education was important through my parents. But the problem is that education wasn't necessarily set for me as a priority by the schools. And I didn't find out until I was in 11th grade. I remember thinking I was taking all the right classes and um, in order to go to college and then, then finding out that I was taking all the wrong classes. I was taking all the leftover classes that um, nobody really wanted to auto shop, which was great, um, but it wasn't really taking me the direction that I, I really wanted to. And I didn't question any of this until I had my own children later on. I, I have five children. I'm so proud that the fact that all of them are either graduated college or in college right now. And, um, and then some of them are, are doing great jobs in um, working within the community as well. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But it came at, at a price of making sure I was involved in schools in order for them to have the highest quality education. So that, that's just a little bit of my story on um, why I feel um, it's important to really be engaged and involved, um, no matter what your background is. I always love hearing your story. And it's so inspiring, especially to hear about your kids. I also am the first in my family to graduate from college. And I, like you, I had a mom who was adamant that I go to college and graduate. And so congratulations. It's a big deal that all of your kids have graduated or in college. That's, that's a huge accomplishment. All right. And that's how I got involved to begin with in advocacy work. And I was one of those parents that I, well, I was one of those individuals that didn't really know how to speak up. I mean, I, I knew I, I had to speak up, but I remember one of the parents saying, you know what, your voice shakes because I would get really anxious and wanting to speak on certain things, um, especially when it came to um, hearing individuals say, well, not all children are going to go to college. And this is an elementary school. So, and I'm like, you shouldn't have this mindset in elementary. Maybe uh, once you talk to the student in high school to see if that's a direction they want to go into, but it's not up to the school itself. It, it should be up to the parents and the students themselves. I couldn't agree more. And I'm so grateful that you decided to take your advocacy to the elected level and to run for school board. And I would love to talk with you more about campaigning. You campaigned twice successfully thus far for your seat on the school board, and you've run for higher office twice with close, difficult losses. Most recently, your bid for the California State Senate last year was a heartbreaking loss as you had won the primary as the true underdog candidate in the race. Tell us a bit about what that campaign experience was like for you. The recent one was, it felt like a twilight zone. And and the reason why I'm saying this, because I did um, win um, the school board races you know, I did fairly well in the first election. I only won by 61 votes. Um, I was the underdog. So I've always been used to being the underdog. But I thought by my second win with the school board, 
I was able to show I was able to get high numbers and really do grassroots campaigning. And when I did the assembly race, I came fairly close, but it, it showed that I was one of those candidates that had credibility and showing that we can actually win these elections. So for me, when the Senate came up, um, I felt like I was one of those that, you know, uh, very qualified in winning elections and statewide as well uh, in the region. And it, and it did feel like a twilight zone that, you know, people didn't think I was credible and people didn't think I would uh, make it past the primary election. And uh, and I, I, I was very happy to have uh, people like yourself and my team really pushing me and, and making sure that we prove them wrong. But it did, it, it was a different feeling from my previous elections is that I had to push back a lot of the naysayers that I couldn't accomplish this and I didn't have the experience or the credibility or even the background to do this. Um, so it was, it was really heartening mm -hmm. to go through that. But, you know, through my own perseverance in life, you know, you have to push forward and, and put the people around you that are going to push you in the right direction. So I'm really blessed in that. Yeah, that was a, it was a difficult campaign. You worked so incredibly hard. I've never seen anyone work so hard in a campaign. And it was uh, amazing to be witness to that. But also, I have to admit, for me, it was really sad as well, in the sense that we witnessed so much blatant racism and homophobia targeted towards you and your campaign in many different ways. And, you know, before your state Senate run, you did something truly brave. You publicly came out being a member of the LGBTQ community. And I know that this was not only a very personally challenging revelation, but the backlash and the public scrutiny was very much present as well. You know, I have watched you speak about this several times over the years, and, and I get emotional each time I hear you tell your story. Your courage to live authentically and to share your truth has been beautiful to watch. Please share with us how you've managed to not only deal with this coming out process personally, but publicly as well, which is so hard. Yeah, no. And I think publicly, it, it, although it was extremely hard, it was no comparison to what I was feeling uh, personally. And I thought, I think that, you know, when you, you're Latina and you grow up within a large family and, you know, family is everything and extended family. So when we say family, we say it's, it's our cousins, our uncles are extended from generations. And so that's the whole family aspect. And when I came out, it just started to dwindle. And uh, the type of messages I was getting wasn't positive. And it, it was to where the point where I had my mom and my sister and a very few of those that, you know, really at least maybe not have don't agree, but they supported me in making sure I was OK and so forth. So, I mean, that for me, it was like the hardest. And by the time I was starting to get attacked by by individuals in the community, um, by um, people that thought it was OK to to really criticize. I mean, you're thinking you're a progressive, either a progressive candidate or a progressive leader. Um, and what does that even progressive word mean if you're if you're willing to bash and and put down and continue that negative uh, support for someone that, you know, continues to um, say, well, you know, I have friends that are LGBTQ. That doesn't matter. The point that you came out and and uh, and not necessarily came out, it was more of a, of a, a written form to someone that they didn't expect was going to release it. And so this does really impact. Because um, part of that twilight zone, which was interesting, is that I didn't understand why people were pulling away 
And they knew I had won elections. They knew I had the credibility. And then it wasn't until one person, um, because I was asking for their support, that they said, Abigail, this is what they're saying about you. And this is why they're trying to to damage your your either your reputation and then saying that you're LGBTQ and then you're an uneducated uh, Mexican. So all of these little negative, all these negative things were it was really hard. I have to say it was really hard, but I think the personal aspect was even harder. Um, it kind of prepared me for the naysayers in public. I just had to push forward. I just had to. And I would tell my team, you know what? Um, all of this is the top white noise, you know, the white noise with regards to the sounds. Um, so I tell them, you know, this doesn't really reflect the hundreds of thousands of people that we need to connect with. Mm-hmm. So we kind of shifted our focus to make sure that um, and that kind of helped me personally, too, because then I didn't have to. You know what? We're not going to be uh, arguing against those that are are trying to put us down. We're going to continue to focus on the voters. And and that's how we're going to be able to win. Um, so we were able to be the top vote getter, mm-hmm. even being outraised four to one against a Republican candidate and three to one against the Democratic candidate. So it's doable. You just have to work harder for it. Absolutely. Uh, And you said so much there that I really want to unpack. And and one of these things that you alluded to is that even within, quote unquote, progressive spaces, there's still racism and homophobia that exist. And, And we saw that very clearly in your campaign. You know, you experienced it. I had people coming up to me in these spaces you know, saying the same types of things that you described. And I was appalled and horrified um, that even within these spaces that we think are safe spaces, there's still so much homophobia and so much racism and sexism. And it did open our eyes to see that this is, even within um, our communities that we feel are, are supposed to be supportive, or at least, okay, if you agree with one candidate, but why go to the extent to, um, you know, to really um, cause harm in, in a way where it's, bashing and so forth. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, really, that's one of the aspects I'm, I'm really trying to move forward in, in um, bringing more attention to um, um, how we can support candidates from all aspects and then kind of shift that change. Mm-hmm. And um, so we can get more individuals, LGBTQ individuals, more um, people of color, more people from different backgrounds to really run for office at the local level so we can kind of change that conversation mm-hmm. um, little by little. We'll see. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And that's really, that's what we're all about. And the Persist podcast and the Persist conference is really getting more people with marginalized identities who have been historically pushed out of the political arena. We need to get them to the table because we know that that changes policy, right? It not only changes hearts and minds, but it changes policy and it impacts people's day-to-day lives. And so thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the courage that you've had to run in these campaigns. I don't think people have any idea how grueling these campaigns are, but they're amazingly time-consuming and stressful and grueling. And so, yeah, I just applaud you in in all of your efforts to be out there and to be visible and to be a trailblazer in in so many ways. Oh, thank you. It's not easy. Um, Definitely not. But we have to find ways to do it because no one else is going to do it for us. Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, I've learned a lot from, from watching you, from knowing you, from working alongside of you, you are not only a brilliant mind when it comes to grassroots campaigning, but you're also a great mentor to students. I loved working with you and so many high school students and college students knocking doors and um, making phone calls for your state senate campaign. Talk to us more about why you not only engaged, taught, and mentored student campaign staff, but you made sure that they were paid as well. 
Yeah, a lot of times um, our camp- campaigns across the board will hire high-end individuals and pay a lot of money there. But forget about those that are part of the community that, you know, we should be paying them well as well. It, it shouldn't be just limited to those that are in uh, Sacramento or L.A. or in higher positions. We should make sure that we're doing well for those that are, are part of the community. And our youth, honestly, they're the way, if we want to change politics in the future, and when it, when it comes to certain issues, right, environmental justice, when you look at women's rights, productive health, immigration rights, all of that, we're not going to change it if we're just focusing only in the, in, in the older generation, which is great. We still want to have diversity, but the future is truly our, our youth, our, our high school students, our college students. Back when I ran in 2013, you know, Rocio Aguayo, Alicia Aguayo, and of course, um, her siblings uh, was also involved in my campaign back then. They were 15 years old in high school back in my 2013 election. And, and Luis Tirado was also in that same age range and Bernard, all of them. And the thing is that when I ran for state Senate, they were my communications director. They were my campaign manager. They were um, doing my graphics. And, and I think that's where it's our responsibility as candidates. And I get it. You want to have diverse when it comes to expertise, but make sure you bring in the youth so that by the time it's, you're going to run your next election or you have another individual that's going to run in the next election, that they're already set to help you in the higher level as well. And of mm-hmm. course, paying them um, what they deserve too to make sure that they're growing uh, because campaigns uh, for many, it's a hardship too financially. And mm-hmm. they're, they're dedicating their time, they're volunteering their time and might as well um, be able to raise money. Because if that's one thing I did, if I made sure I raised money and it wasn't necessarily a lot, I made sure I raised enough for the team. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it did go a long way in my, in my campaigns, it did. So yeah, definitely it's important for me. It absolutely did. I was so grateful to be there and to watch that firsthand. And you mentioned Rocio. She did an absolutely amazing job. She's a UCR alum. Want to give her a special shout out. I remember I showed up one night to make phone calls and we were at a house in San Bernardino and I was just making conversation with people there. And she was like, Denise, you need to sit down and make some phone calls. (laughs) She was on it. Yes, she was on it. And you also want to use, um, so with everyone, as well as our youth, you want to get, look at what their strengths are. You know, Mm -hmm. there may be individuals that may be a little bit more shy, but they're good at organizing and, um, you know, strategizing all of that. So you want to look at where their strengths are so you can help them enhance it. They may be artists and, and would be great as graphic artists. So you want to really utilize your strengths. Absolutely. And you're great at that. And your campaign was absolutely brilliantly run. Um, such an impressive grassroots campaign in so many ways. And we should also talk to you about just the district, right? And I don't think a Democrat has won that seat in the last 10 years, at least, or in the 10 years that it's been in this district. And so maybe no we has. Maybe we can use that to talk a little bit about the importance of the redistricting process and what that means for candidates from different parties. Right. And and when you look at the areas itself, when you look at the areas itself, um, a great example was the 4th Assembly District. Just the map, the way it jumps over Montana, Rialto, Mm -hmm. and then then covers Rancho Pucamonga, so San Bernardino, Rivers, uh, Redlands. And then it just crosses over the upper mountain. And, and so if it, it just looking at the map itself looks gerrymandered. And when you look at the Senate race, the Senate district, so all of that is really important to make sure that we're having voices, local voices, 
mm-hmm. and them looking at the numbers to make sure that it's, it's well represented um, mm-hmm. by the area they're representing. It's not just cutting to where it benefits them. It goes back to the city council races, the uh, city races, uh, the, the supervisor races. So we have to make sure that they're well rounded to support um, the areas they're representing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that listeners, especially, you know, for this podcast are concerned about getting involved in the political arena. And I think something we don't talk enough about is redistricting committees and how important those are. If we're thinking about equitable representation across the board, that that's an important conversation to elevate. And it's important for them to question, too, not to be afraid because they'll bring in experts. As you know, within city government, you have, you know, paid experts that will come in. Sometimes it's a little biased, you know, to what we're asking them um, to give us information for. So it's good for those that are part of those committees to not be afraid and asking questions and pushing back a little bit to see if there's other ways around it to get the right demographics and um, the right districting. Definitely. Abigail, I'm sure you have a lot of answers to this next question. I can't wait to hear what you say, but I'm curious to know. What do you know now about politics that you wish you had known before you decided to run for office? Um, If I would know now, if I would have known then what I know now, uh, I might have not. So I don't know that. I mean, mean, the thing is, the reality is, I think it's okay not uh, knowing. It is extremely hard, but I don't want to ever discourage anyone from running because we need people in these seats when it comes to school board, water boards, there's city council, all of these areas, we need individuals to run. But uh, what I would tell myself back then is um, be true, continue to be true to who you are and um, finding some space to um, disconnect from the politics. Um, I think I was so involved and engaged and wanting to make sure that I was doing what was right, that I didn't give myself time to breathe when it came to other important issues, you know, my, my, with my self-care, my family self-care and all of that. So I think for those that are, you know, planning to run, try to look at finding some time for yourself, even if it's a few uh, hours a day, just to reflect and just focus only on you and nothing about anything else um, in politics. Absolutely. Great advice. You know, in the local arena, in the political arena in general, but I think even in in the local arena, it's it's hard, right? People people project a lot onto you. And I think that's, for me at least, that's been one of the biggest surprises is like how much um, people get wrong about me and how many assumptions people make about me that are incorrect. Uh, So I'm curious to know, what is something that people often get wrong about you? You know what? I even had to ask my partner and ask, you know what? Sometimes we, we, I'm very self-critical and I think a lot of us are. And I really didn't even know how I would answer that. And I asked her, well, what do you think people would question um, about me that, you know, that they probably miss are misguided? And one of them was maybe it was um, they, they assume I'm, I'm just running um, for a seat and uh, mm-hmm. for a higher seat. And that's definitely not the case. Or another instance that I was thinking and reflecting afterwards was, well, she only knows education. And yes, I, education is my top priority and it is a, a way to get um, our, our communities out of poverty and really help them grow into uh, sustainable positions and good uh, working jobs. Um, but it's not the only thing. I mean, it's all intersectional when it comes to employment, when it comes to the 
the labor market as well and, and making sure individuals are being paid well. This also goes back to the environmental aspect. You know, many of our schools, we have warehouses surrounding them and the environmental impact. So I feel like a misconception would be that I'm only a one topic candidate and that has to do with education. Although education, I will, I am proud of is definitely an, an area that I'm really passionate about and want to push forward. Absolutely. That all makes sense. Thank you for that. I'm curious to know what, I know you're always so busy. What are some of the projects that you're working on now? Well, after the election, I did a lot of reflecting with what can we do differently to help support candidates? As you know, it wasn't just myself that was struggling. It was those that were supporting me that was also getting a lot of pushback and and backlash in, in those elected seats. And so how do I make sure, first of all, those that supported me that are great um, elected officials that they continue to stay in those seats. But how do we also grow uh, it more uh, youth, more communities of color, more marginalized individuals like LGBTQ people running for these local offices? And so with that, um, I decided to create a, a political PAC, political um, committee. And so that is called IE Civic Leadership PAC. Um, and uh, I'm really excited that right now we're currently working with a few candidates. And then, of course, um, doing an academy training, this Justice uh, Academy, through the partnership of uh, iUnited, Planned Parenthood, which is uh, Riverside, San Diego, and Inyo, um, CLCV, and, um, and of course, our PAC are, are working with candidates right now or individuals that are interested in running for office to really understand what it takes to, um, to win. Um, because if you're going to win, you're going to go through the hardship. I mean, if you're going to run and you're going to go through all that hardship, we need to make sure at least you get close to winning or winning itself. And, and I get it. Sometimes we don't win the first election, which I know several candidates have ran. And finally, in their fourth election, they win. So it takes multiple times. But if we can do it the first time, why not? So um, through that mentorship and coaching, I am working with a few candidates in that. That is fantastic. I'm so glad that you're doing that. And I look forward to, uh, to seeing how that comes to fruition. Thank you for sharing with, with us about that. So our final question that we ask everyone is if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, especially college students thinking about running for office or getting involved in the political arena, what would that be? It's not necessarily one thing. It's one, first of all, is know your strength. If you're not, uh, you get a little nervous public speaking, hey, I'm that way too. I literally get, my hands are all sweating when I still put a speak in front of people. I do, I do fairly well in small environments versus large environments, but understand your strengths and areas of weakness and, and just know that you can still win even if you have some of those deficiencies and or not deficiencies, more of those struggles uh, of public speaking, or it may be in, in other arenas, um, you can still win. Just need to work on that slowly but surely. And then, of course, understand your win number. I think this is really important. Understanding your area that you're planning to run. Um, there's um, there's PDI offers an online link that you can look at. And I'll, and I'll share it with you, Denise, so you can share it with um, all those that are interested in running. And it will give you a picture of how many Republicans, how many uh, Democrats, how many declined states, and all of that, uh, the demographics when it comes to Latinos, African-American, white voters. When you look at um, home ownership versus renters, and then you look at the previous elections and how many votes um, was needed in order to win. So you could really understand your area. So I think that's really important for any candidate out there, that, and especially our youth, to really understand you know, the numbers. 
Now they'll be able to see, you know what, maybe I can't run this election cycle, but I'll definitely be able to push for the next one. And that's okay too. Or if you just want to put your name out there and and by the time you run the second time, get more uh, support. I mean, that's also another option. San Bernardino City Unified School District Board Member Abigail Medina, I knew that this would be a great conversation, and it certainly was. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Persist podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. And if you know of anyone that would like uh, for me to talk to them about what it takes to win, uh, please send them my way. That's a great offer, and I hope people take her up on that. We can get you connected. Thanks, Abigail. The Persist Podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, Director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.